Hello and welcome to the Your Balance podcast. Today we're going to be talking about how to suffer. I'm Daniel Talbot and I'm going to walk you through some of the thoughts that we have on how to suffer better. The reason for this podcast is because often we tend to be leaning towards how to be happy. We know happiness is going to be a part of our lives, but so too we know suffering will be there too. It's part of the human experience. Suffering occurs to everyone. It's easy to be happy. It's hard to suffer. We can rest confidently, though, knowing that greatness occurs through suffering. It's the archetype of our heroes, is that they have to go through something to get to their victory. It's a precursor to conquering adversity. It's in our nature. It's so systemically so that basically evolution is stemmed around suffering, growth, change. Then we should look at suffering as something to be welcomed because of what it does for us. I mean, it's at least to be expected. Knowing what it can do for people then, can't we get excited with it, thinking, what will I gain from it this time? Remember how much stronger you were after the last suffering that you soothed? Maybe then we can look to at least expect suffering and maybe even try for it, considering all the good things that it gives us. The Stoics would do it all the time. Accepting that that this will happen brings us to the first takeout on this discussion on suffering. And that is, the measure of a person is how they suffer. Many people choose to suffer. Exercise is chosen suffering. People who take ice bars normally do on, on purpose, right? However, these kinds of sufferings have direct motivational outcomes. There's a purpose for doing them. When you exercise, you get fitter, you feel better, you might lose weight. And when you take ice bars, you end up feeling more relaxed and it allows for a bunch of other amazing byproducts. Though, when you suffer in these examples, because there's clear reasons to do so, it's not exactly the same suffering that we're talking about here. But it is an example because it allows you to show that suffering can be enjoyed for the outcome that it produces. So this is the next takeout from the discussion. Change your perspective to the suffering. One way to suffer better is to realize that suffering is a precursor to something great happening. Like the example above with the discussion on ice bars or exercise, other painful experiences can produce good outcomes as well. We know that suffering is to be expected in our lives. And because of this, how would we react when it occurs? Would we be angry? Would we be upset? I mean, we expected it to happen. And by accepting that it will happen, then it's like getting upset with something like childbirth. Look, you may be scared and it will be painful, but you'll push through it and there'll be a reward on the other side. And if you fight against the contractions, the suffering, it'll only make things worse. You don't waste negative energy on a painful experience that you've expected to happen. There's there's, there's two parts to pain here because there's the physical part and then there's the mental part, how we relate to it. Seneca tells us that we suffer more on the imagination than reality. So like this example with childbirth, suffering is a precursor to greatness. Even if you could look at it simply by moving away from the pain and to relief and learning. 
look, you've survived everything so far in life, all the sufferings that you've gone through, and you've grown and you've learned your entire life, I'd hope. And so maybe with this new perspective, we can look at this as if life and suffering is happening for you and not to you. Here's a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. If our young men miscarry in their first enterprise, if they lose all heart, if the young merchant fails, men say he is ruined. If the finest genius studies at one of our colleges and is not installed in an office within one year afterward in the cities of suburbs of Boston or New York, it seems to his friends and to himself that he is being right in being disheartened and in complaining the rest of his life. A sturdy lad from New Hampshire or Vermont who in turn tries all the professions, who teams it, farms it, peddles it, keeps a school, preaches, edits a newspaper, goes to Congress, buys a township and so forth in successive years, and always, like a cat, falls on his feet, is with a hundred of these city dolls. He walks abreast with his days and feels no shame in not studying a profession. For he does not postpone his life, but lives already. He has not one chance, but a hundred chances. From this quote, the takeout I get is that we're responsible for how we respond to life's events and the impact those events have on us. This means that it's subjective and we can choose to feel this emotion, even if it comes up. And then we can look at this emotion once we've chosen to feel it and accept it and understand it. And by doing so, we can respond in a way that best serves us. So simply by reframing your suffering as a good thing will help you shift the connotation for suffering you've already established. This means that suffering can be a well-intended event in life, even if you didn't expect it. As a realization of what suffering can produce is a really potent and reward that can motivate us. We notice too, the best stories of our greatest heroes suffered the most intensely. Jesus, Superman, even Charlie Sheen, he, he even had to go through a bunch of trials. <laughs> and their stories are, as a result, timeless. A hero must overcome adversity, otherwise the story wouldn't interest us. It's not relatable. It doesn't matter if you suffer to save the world or grow up confused and alone, then to do the same, or that there are bugs under your skin because you can't find what you're looking for. Each suffering is a personal nightmare. It's not measurable by anyone else but themselves, but yourself. If the suffering feels horrible to you, then it is horrible. There is no objective comparison, as again, suffering is subjective. In the same way, you can look at this in the same way that doctors find it hard to measure pain. Some people are better at dealing with pain than others. It's their approach that matters. It's your approach to suffering that matters. Henri Chari, hopefully I said that close to correct, was clearly a French man. He was imprisoned in 1933 in a place called Devil's Island. This was a labor camp that was worse than any other place on earth at the time. The only responsibility of the guards was to make sure that the labor got done and that no one escaped. Safety was never a concern, even more so than what we would assume in a conventional prison. I'm trying to set the story for you. So preventing escape being the most important thing to the prison. After the prisoners were put in matching clothing, they were put in an auditorium and spoken to, 
and explained that if you would try to escape once, you'd be put in solitary confinement for two years. Again, you try to escape five years, and for a third time, you'll be killed. And solitary confinement here was not like we understand it today. Once isolated, your rations were barely manageable, to the point where the energy required to go to the bathroom was all but impossible to muster. This meant you couldn't exercise to keep up your spirits. Then even worse than that, silence was required at all times, no noise to be made whatsoever unless you wanted a beating. Finally, and there's more, darkness. There was no light. All this leads a man to insanity. That's the intention. Can you be human with all your senses gone, but all this suffering persisting? Henri was wrongly accused of murder and was sentenced to life at Devil's Island, but he wasn't going to let this obstacle stop him. He made two escapes, both which unfortunately he was caught for and spent almost seven years alone, in silence and in the dark. After all that, he still wanted to try a third time and thankfully was successful. When Henri was caught, and when he went to attempt his escape plans, he wasn't angry. He knew what he was getting into. And when they grabbed him after he tried, he looked at this as an obstacle to overcome. He adopted the silence. He accepted it. He went with the darkness. And that's what prevented him from losing his mind. He embraced his suffering because he knew that unless he did, his situation would be much worse that even going through this, he had something to learn and give back. As after he escaped, he ended up becoming a successful businessman with a family and wealth. And then he wrote down his story and shared it with the world in order to, to stop the atrocities that these men were experiencing on Devil's Island. And thankfully, Devil's Island was shut down in 1953, 101 years after it had been opened shortly after Henri's stories had been released. Henri saved countless lives from ongoing suffering, and so we wouldn't be wrong to think that when we feel run down, burdened, in pain, or our own personal breaking point has been reached, that the greater the suffering, the greater the reward. Henri changed history. So here's a personal example. I've dealt with ongoing back pain for the last four, maybe even five years now, and this hurts me enough to keep me up at night. And until lately, I really wasn't sure why, not for lack of trying. See, the way I perceive this is an opportunity. Because of this, I found a love for stretching and yoga. And using these to improve my body's balance made me feel better and move more freely when doing other training. I didn't feel as sore after training and the extra quiet time during yoga left me feeling more relaxed than normal. Okay, sure, I did struggle to sleep still, but I did still sleep and I functioned fine which is surprisingly easy to do. I ended up meeting a bunch of healthcare professionals too as a result of all my appointments I had to go to to try to fix it. Okay, look, it hurt sitting down for me maybe more than 15 minutes at a time. So I ended up overachieving on my daily step allowance and sitting isn't good for me anyway. Knowing that all events pass in life or at least become less pressing as time goes on gave me confidence that I can move through this. More so, when I have moved through these events in my life before, I've come out with new skills. So why would this event be any different? The positive changes meant I had to focus further on my health and identify the areas in my life that are causing me pain. I grew in ways impossible for me to have without my suffering. 
And it turns out, hopefully, it was my bed. So new skills and a new bed. Sometimes suffering can occur from the subconscious. I mean, it can take effect in anxiety and depression and manifest in poor eating or no sleep, just like me. Though here we not only need to reshape how we view the suffering, but also listen and accept the feelings that are around the experience. Normally, this kind of subconscious results due to unresolved issues you have. These can be a long-ago problem or daily stress that you decide isn't something you want to talk about with, with yourself or, and you'd rather avoid. This can, be, this can mean sorry, that the issue is unclear, and it's why it's important to accept that it's okay to feel the way you do, because that confusion can compound and make the suffering much worse. So from this place of acceptance, you can listen to what, you're, what is bothering you. We do this by asking a couple questions. So while you feel uncomfortable and you've noticed that you're suffering, accept it, don't push it away. We ask, where do I feel this in my body? Do I feel it in my chest, in my face, in my back, in my neck? And once I feel where it physically manifests, focusing in on that, then I ask the next question, what does this feeling want? This allows us to just slow down. And it might seem a little corny, but that's all we need to do. And it's a good standing starting point. So in listening, you can actually respond to the feelings and not react. Often, we aim to avoid the negative feelings or get more upset because we're having them in the first place. Look, as we must expect to suffer in our lives, trying to avoid these feelings only results in unaddressed issues that build into behavior patterns governed by the subconscious. You end up acting in ways without conscious reason to do so. You're not in control. You're applying a lesson of repression that you believe is a blanket solution, not consciously, but subconsciously. You shortcut the decision-making process so that you can avoid the suffering. You go straight to what has been working for you. Avoid, avoid, avoid. And anything you keep down there long enough, it's got to build up and eventually permeates into your real life. And often in most cases, in your most intimate relationships, and that's with the people you love and with yourself, thus the anxiety and depression, or at least one reason for it. From these more personal sufferings, I believe we've got the most opportunity to grow. It allows us to become more relatable. As I mentioned earlier, well, everybody has this. And no one wants to do this alone. And so when you talk to people about it, people find you more relatable and more appealing to be around. So by understanding yourself through this process, you can assess how to suffer personally and how to make the appropriate changes for your circumstances so that it serves you best. And why it's easier than other sufferings potentially is because there's no external pressure. Because this suffering as all it are is a choice, this time it's all in your head. You don't have to reconsider the experience in front of you. When you come into this situation, you look at it as expecting to suffer. You're not expecting it to leave, rather looking at it as an opportunity to grow. How can I use this obstacle to build something? My sister told me once when I was in a really bad emotional state 
that this suffering, Dan, isn't for you. It's for all the people that you can help because you've gone through it. And here I am, just like Henri, right? <laughs> Maybe not as much, but still. Look, as a step to suffer better, I want to give you some examples, ways that you can start to practice and realize that you're not a slave to that feeling. To do this, when you're not suffering, recall an event in the past where you have. List in detail how you felt, what happened, and why it happened. Now list all the good things that have happened since. It might not look like as a result, but just what's happened since. Often a lot of these things might have happened because of the suffering in the first place. A lot of good things. An example could be a heartbreak where you were cheated on. Now you've learned how a cheater acts and how to avoid them. Because they cheated on you, you were able to meet a bunch of new people and your relationship skills have improved significantly for your next partner, I'm sure. Or if, hopefully not, you do get cheated on again, you'll be more prepared to deal with it. A soldier trained for the battle she hopes will never happen. Just like being more prepared in dealing with suffering. Another step is the language you use around your peers and family. These are the things you say out loud. The reason kids are told to write lines as punishment is that consistency and repetition produce habits and retention. This has a social obligation when said out loud to others, as when you complain to people, which is fine if you think that's what they want to hear, <laughs> you need to listen to what you're saying and address it as well. It's like a verbal contract you say with yourself and to whomever else you've spoken it to. A deal to be positive or negative. You can practice convincing them why your situation will be good. So then when you're alone, it's easier for you to convince yourself of the same. Another good point to think about with suffering is that suffering helps appreciate not suffering. So when you're amongst it, it's pretty obvious to think that when something doesn't hurt anymore, it's better than when it did. It's like hot and cold. They feel more extreme going from one to the other. Then, through suffering, we find joy in life again. We find joy in the monotony because we're looking forward to getting back to that equilibrium. In the normal that we so often loathe, we find relief and peace. You see, suffering renews old loves. There's no measure to suffering. To lose an arm or a leg, which is worse? A mother or a father? I guess it depends on who's experiencing it. It's subjective. Don't belittle your suffering as if it's pointless. There's a reason it's happening. And if you feel uncomfortable, then that is suffering and that is okay. But remember you choose to suffer just like you choose to be happy. And so you can reframe how you suffer. And maybe that suffering won't mean the same thing to you as what it always has. A few points to take out from the discussion. Let's change the perspective of suffering that you have. That suffering is a choice. You choose how to suffer and that you suffer in the first place. Reframe how you speak to others about your suffering because it creates a contract and it's easy for you to practice. And then focus on the good outcomes while suffering. It's always something good that comes out of these situations. Look, I look forward 
to my suffering being over. But know that there will be always more in my life. And when I'm suffering, honestly, I feel like a badass because these times in my life have always produced wonderful things. And using the methods that I have outlined here, I can be more excited to look forward and see what I will grow into. If it's not hard, it's not worth doing. That's been something I've been saying since I was 12. So look forward to your suffering. I hope you can get something wonderful out of it, like you have every other time. If you're looking for more help on health and well-being, check out my courses at courses.your-balance.org.